Thanks for listening. For more information, join us online at c3b.ca. Basically, you know, you kind of come into Christmas, and we've all got like favorite Christmas verses that that they have that you have. And mine's mine is not this one. It's in Luke, and it says um, that Jesus will be for all people. And I'm like, right, right there in the announcement that the angel had declaring that Jesus was born, summed up his mission in a few words when he said he's for all people. And I love that. So coming around this, this, this time of year, I always try and just kind of focus in on a scripture, kind of get, just kind of think, you know, God, what are you trying to say this year around this time? You know, it's more than a Christmas play, as cute as they are. It's more than little sheep and dan- dancing cards, it's, <laughs> which are fantastic. But there's a reason. And I got stuck into this where, where I just felt like God was saying, it's, it's us. And I started to look through some of the scriptures and, and I realized there's a few other things where God talks about us and, it, you know, where it's, a, where it's a combined thing. The Bible says that he fights for us. The Bible says he works through us. Uh, the Bible says that he hears us. Uh, the Bible says that he loves us. There's all these different things where God is using the word us, where it's, where it's him and me, him and you, him and his church, him and us. So this morning I wanted to talk about that. But while, while we're on the subject of us, I just thought we could just take a moment. There's a number of things, big and small, that are going on amongst us. And there's been, there's been injuries, there's been sicknesses, there's been all different, there's all different manner of things. And I thought may, maybe things were talking about us, that we could take a moment and pray for us, if that's all right. So why don't I get you to stand up? If you can't sit and pray, you just fall asleep. That's prayer meeting 101. <laughs> but God, we just thank you for what you're doing in this house. God, we believe that you're on the move. God, we believe that like, like we were singing, that you will make a way where there was no way, that God, you are in this for this city at this time. And God, we believe in the scripture that says whatever comes against us won't prosper. God, we believe and we stand firm in on you. God, I pray for the hearts of this house, God, that you will strengthen, that you will stand by, that you will reassure. God, your word says that you are the perfecter of all that concerns us, whether that's family, whether that's health, whether that's financial, whether that's relationships, whatever the matter is, God, you are there and you are the not only the solution, you are the answer, God. And we stand firm and we believe on it. God, we know that you're about to move in this city. God, we know that you have a heart for the Vancouver, God. You know, we know that you have a plan and a purpose for this city, God. God, and we're going to listen and we're going to say, send us. And we're going to take whatever battles come our way, God, because we can stand firm on you and your word and what you've said will come to pass. So God, we pray this morning for us. We pray for your house. We pray for those that are here for the first time and those that are here for the 1,000th time. God, move amongst us here this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. All right, grab a seat. I can't encourage you enough to be here on Tuesday at the prayer and worship night. 
it is going to be sensational. The last one was great, and that was the first one, and they're surely going to get better and better. So come along. Anyway, if you have your Bible there, your app, your whatever, uh, you can turn, I want you to turn to two scriptures. We'll turn the first one, and it says this. This is my Christmassy one. It says, Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. It's a declaration. Jesus is going to be born, and not only are we just going to name him a name that, that maybe you might have to do a little research to work out, forget that. We're just going to tell you straight up what it means. It means that God is going to be with you. Every time you hear that name, every time you hear Emmanuel, every time you hear Jesus, know that God is with you. That's the first scripture, Matthew 1, 23. If you keep your finger there or whatever, or flip, you guess you can't if you've got an app. It's old, it's new school. Uh, but Genesis 2, 18 is where we're going to start. Right at the start. It's quite interesting. It's worked out. It's like the first book of the Bible, of the Old Testament, the first book of the New Testament. I'm sure there's a deep meaning in there. But Genesis 2, 18 says this, And then the Lord God said, It's not good that man should be alone. It's funny, this scripture, because uh, chapter one is basically God creating earth, creating the universe, creating planets, trees, plants, animals, dogs, even created cats for some reason. And, and every time he got through it, <laughs> uh, sometimes you just poke, it's funny. Um, God had just finished saying, making things, and saying it's good. It says that day one, he made heaven and earth, and it was good. He made day and night, it was good. He made the moon and the stars, he made the water, the land, it was good. He made cats and said, I guess it's good. All the, <laughs> all the time he'd been saying it's good, it's good, it's good. Chapter two is the first time Hod steps back and gives a little bit of info to man and says, well, I just noticed it's not good for you to be alone. It's not good. It's not good. He looks down and, and basically begins to realise that, that God real, begins to realise it's not just proximity. It's relationship. Because you can be around people and alone. You can be well-known and alone. You can have a great job and still be alone. You can get the bus every day on the jam-packed 99 through here and still be alone. You can be insta-famous and have lots of followers and still be alone. Gene Jesus put it this way, I stand at the door and I knock. And whoever opens it, I'm there because it's not just proximity. You can just be a door away from Jesus and still feel very alone. At any time, it was just he looked and he said, it's not good for man. We need, you need relationship. You need an us. Not just a me. You need, you need an us. In Leviticus, God reinforces this and he says, I will walk among you and I'll be your God and you shall be my people. God basically started putting into place people groups, and he 
Leviticus is about, you know, there's the tribe of Levi who were the priests. He basically put them in place to help the people connect to God. Lead Levi actually means connect. The root of the word, that's what it is. They were the connect tribe. They were the people put in place to connect, to connect themselves with God and then just as importantly, connect the rest of the tribe with God. In 1 Peter, he says about us, hey, you've been called now to become high priests. You've been called now to connect, not just with me, but with others. That's our role. That's, that's literally the role that God has put in place for his people now, is to, become, is to become connectors. The plan was always for together. In Genesis 1, God says, let us create. His plan has always been together. Even he made himself a trinity. And it's just so there's an us. This is, the, this is what I wrote down. We're all on a journey, but it's not a solo expedition. You're not called to do this alone, this walk. We're better together than alone. Paul writes in Romans, For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function, so we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. Paul was like, hey, guys, I need you to get this. We're better together. Even though we all do different things, we all have different functions, we're all better at some things than other things, collectively we're still better together than alone. So don't be put off by that someone can do this better. Don't, don't be put off what you can't do. Let's focus on what you can do and let's come together and together we connect and together we bring people together. We become an us. Is making sense so far? All right. The scripture says this, one can put a thousand to flight, two, I put one plus God equals 10,000 to flight. The addition of God to any situation will always be exceedingly abundantly more than you can ask or think. See, we... we we get kind of stuck on that, you know, we've got to do it ourselves, that, that you know, you've got to fake it till you make it. You've got to get in there and you've got to make things happen, you know, snapping and popping and all these ridiculous things. Where God's saying, no, no, just, just, can you just bring me in? I'm just waiting. I'm just waiting for you to bring me into this situation and let's see what I can do. No, no, God, I've got, I've got it. I'm doing this. It's not happening, but I'm doing it. I've got it. He's like, no, no, just, just ask me in. Just get me into the situation and see how abundantly more I can do. You've only got to look at the many, many miracles that Jesus did, where a situation seemed one thing and Jesus entered and it was abundantly more than you could ask or think. His first miracle was water into wine. And they said, look, we're out and we need more. And they end up saying, man, you saved the best till last. I don't understand why you do that. Because it's always abundantly more than you can ask or think. Abraham, Abraham was struggling with this. God, I want a son. God, okay, I understand that you made a promise that I could have a son, but I'm an old man. I don't mean me. I mean Abraham saying that. Just because my kids, they rub it in me. Abraham saying, look, I'm, I'm old. 
but I'm up, I'm up for the challenge, God, but I'm old. And, he said, and, my, and, my, and my wife, well, she's old too. I'm sure he whispered that part because he'd get shot. So I get it. You know, I, if I could be as bold as to ask for a son, I know it's pushing the limits, surely, of what is humanly possible. But if I could just ask you, just, just for a son, that would be so great. That would be just what I want. God says, I want to do abundantly more than you can ask or think. I, you're thinking too small for what I want to do. Oh, God, it's such a big deal getting a son. It's, it's a huge miracle. This is going to be a huge miracle if I can just get a son. Abraham thinks asking for a son is the top of it. God says, I want to give you a nation. Oh, but if I just want to... That would, but God, your limit surely is just a son. It's like, no, my limit is a nation. My limit, I love when he says to Abraham, who's in his tent crying... Just get out of the tent. Get out of this confined restriction of what you think I can do. Get out of there and look up at the stars. And now we're talking in my realm. It's abundantly more than you could ever ask or think. So when we look back at this scripture in Genesis and to quote God, he says, alone is not good. That's a quote right there. Alone is not good. Um, I don't know if anyone's seen the show Alone on the History Channel. It's one of my favourite uh, shows. It's cra- crazy. They just they take a group of 12. They fly them to somewhere ridiculously remote. Uh, the first one was like the top of uh, Vancouver Island where it just rained the whole time. Uh, this one was like the ridiculousness top of BC. Basically, you're the Arctic circle. And then they drop them off and go. And you're alone. (laughs) And basically, the whole premise of the show is, who can stay alone the longest? Basically, you're alone. They drop you off. They drop these 12 off. They're not together. They're all in different spots, so they've got no idea. Uh, They can take a a couple of items, whatever, and they've got to try and work out what... Well, that is. Uh, they're dropped off, and then you're on your own. You've got to get your own food. You've got to make your own house. Uh, it's, it's impressive. It's impressive that people actually think that they can do that. I've got to be like, right, where's the drive-through? You know, it's ridiculous. And then, and then it's funny because they're, when, when they land, they're all very confident. I could stay out here for four years. Whatever, you know, they're building houses like some of them, well, some, some of them do anyway, build houses, which inadvertently most of the time catch on fire. Uh, you know, the one was really awesome. She built a wood, they, they normally just built like a wooden house. So they've got to go chop down trees with their little knife and whatever. And she'd made this, they made this house and they had a wall. And then they just, and then she decided maybe I'll insulate it. And so she spent, like, they spend ridiculous amounts of time on this. So she built a, it had a, a wooden wall, uh, all this grass inside, and then another wooden wall. And the unfortunate thing was when uh, the fire sparked 
and caught a caught just a little bit of those inner bits of grass. Their whole house <laughs> went up in a very quick blaze. <laughs> Poor guys. Anyway, uh, but that's them. It's so it's got funny. You know the guy on this one. He caught a moose. Oh, like I don't hunt. But I'm like, you know what? He had like a little pen knife and he was like, caught a moose. Like, you can't help but be impressed. It's a real, he's a real man. But anyway, they always, and women, sorry. Look out. Don't throw anything. Um, and so it's really great. So, so when they land, they are all like, yeah, I'm just going to win this. I'm here forever. You know, there'll be no stopping me. And it's funny how over time, what affects them the most, more than the food, eating squirrels or whatever, you know, this is, this is what they do, um, catching moose, building houses, outside of all of that, the thing that gets to them the most is the alone. And you start to see over time, basically their whole thought pattern change. They went from, I'm going to win this and I'm here forever, to just the weight of being alone, what they feel like they're missing out on as a birthday rolls around or an anniversary rolls around. That weight of alone starts to weigh so heavily on them. And you begin to see them change, their conversations change to convince themselves that it's okay to leave. More than anything. It's never, I ran out of food. It's never, it was too cold. It's more often than not, it's the alone that convinces them that they should just pack up and go home. And it's funny because the devil doesn't have a lot of tricks. He just rehashes the same ones over and over again. But one of his biggest ones is alone. From, from the beginning. If he could, here it's God said, it's not good for man to be alone. It's like he picked up on that. And he went, oh, okay, I've got my in. I've got that. Let's use that. Eve gets caught alone, picking fruit. It's alone. His first major attack on Jesus was Jesus was alone in the wilderness. This is what I think. You make your worst decisions when you're alone. You, you, you tend to not, like, there is the whole group mentality, and if everyone's doing it, I'll do it. Sure. We've all done ridiculous things as a group. But I think if we we're all honest with each other, I think we could honestly say we've made some of our worst decisions when we've been alone. You know, if we had have just been with, some, if someone else was there, you probably, I probably wouldn't have done, but... You make your worst decisions when you're alone. And the enemy knows if he can get you alone, if he can get people alone, if people can be left to their thoughts, it's a good trick. It's a good little way. So how big of an issue is loneliness? As past week, Susanna pointed out a pod podcast, a something like that, and so I listened to it. It's from CBC Rave Radio. It's called this, Lone, Lonely Together, 
the plight of urban isolation. It says, a study by uh, the Engage City Task Force in Vancouver asked people to report the biggest problem facing the city. I think we could list a whole bunch of issues that face this city. And the result was surprising. They might have said home homelessness, uh, the opioid epidemic, but the number one problem that was identified in this report was urban loneliness. Basically, they've done studies that show that loneliness can lead to the increased risk of heart, heart disease, anxiety, depression, and dementia. The effects of being alone, the effects of being lonely, is the same as on your body as smoking 15 cigarettes a day. That's the effect that being alone has on you. It's amazing. In America in the 1920s, 5% of people lived alone. Uh, this past decade, it's 25% live alone. It's just growing. Cities build, people move, and they find themselves alone. A 2017 survey by the non-profit uh, Vancouver Foundation found people who lived in high-rises defined in the survey's built buildings taller than five storeys reported significantly higher difficulty in making friends, felt less welcome in their neighbourhood, were less likely to know their neighbours and were more likely to avoid interaction with strange strangers than any other building types. They were also far more likely to be young. This report said that the city is designed for you to mind your own business. The city is designed for you to be alone. You get in a high rise, you can't even get off at a different floor anymore. You can't move up and down, you can't meet with people. There was an interesting story of a man who lived in a high-rise uh, building and every time he looked down, he would see the courtyard and this little garden. And he thought, and it was always busy. And then he found out, well, it was the, only the people who lived right at the bottom in the townhouse part that used that area. And this was a few years ago, so he was able to sell his apartment and move down into a town, townhouse. And within two months, he already knew all his neighbours just from the different of the location. It's funny how you can just get left, left alone to your own thoughts and things begin to struggle. If we can look at another, another verse, there's a story of Elijah in 1 Kings 19. And it says, And Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done. Elijah was the man at this stage. Elijah had just come off one of the greatest miracles ever where he called down fire from heaven. And like we sing about that, calling down fire. That's a really old song. You probably don't even know it, sorry. Really, that's like flashback then to when I was seven. That was brutal. There's lots of clapping like that. <laughs> calling down fire. Like we sing about it, he did it. Like actual fire falling from heaven. He was, he was the man. He was well known. He was the prophet of God. And on the back of that, it says, Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done and how he'd killed all the prophets with the sword. 
And Jezebel sent a message to Elijah saying, So may the gods do to me and more also, if I do not make your life as a life of one of them by this time tomorrow. Jezebel sends out a note and says, Hey, I want you to know I'm coming for you. (laughs) You know, you would think you'd go, Okay, God, we need to call down fire again. I'll give you the GPS location and the time, and you hit her with all you've got. And he doesn't, he doesn't do that. He freaks out. He says, then he was afraid. He arose and he ran for his life. <laughs> the prophet of God. Woo! Anyway, um, just see a muppet running. If I do not make your... Uh, what did he say? Then he ran afraid and he rose and he ran for his life and he came to Bathsheba, where, which belongs to Judah, and he left his servant there. Here's an interesting He ran for his life and he had someone. He had brought someone along with him. And then he makes what I think is a really critical mistake. He says, you stay here. And, and he went himself a day's journey into the wilderness. He got right to the edge of running for his life, freaking out. And I think a lot of us can get points too when we're in this kind of situation. We're running, and we hit a point. It's almost like a point where God interjects and says, you know, hey, let's do this. But then he says, then he made a choice. You know what? I'm going to go even further into the wilderness. I'm going alone, going deep. Who knows when I'll be back? And off he runs. It says, and he sat down under a tree, and he asked that he might die just really shows what can happen when we're left alone with our thoughts. Oh, you know, it's just better if I'm not around. I know I did all those great things, but, you know, they're after me now. That's it. Just take me. I'm just going to sit under a tree, see what happens. It says he lay down, he slept. And then interestingly, though, through verses 5, 6, 7, it says that an angel came and comforted him. An angel came and gave him food. See, if we think that we can get so far outside the will of God that he's forgotten all about us, yet here we see as far as he'd gone into the wilderness, God had gone with him and was just going, here, here we go. I'm just, I'm looking after you. I got my eye on you. Let's turn this thing around. It says he arose, he ate, he drank, and in the strength of that food, 40 days and 40 nights... And then he found himself at the Mount of God. You see, I think people can get left alone and get lonely. They can wander for a long time. But really our goal is to, and our hope and our prayer is that they'll find themselves in the house of God looking for answers, looking for solutions, looking for an us, looking for you, looking for what you've been through, looking for support, looking for help. And verse 9 it says, and then he, there, there he came to a cave and he lodged in it and behold, the word of the Lord came to him and said, what are you doing here, Elijah? Man, how good would that be if we got that voice? What it, or maybe you've had that voice. Ever been in a situation and then you feel God say, hey, what are you doing here? I've got so much more for you. I've got a bigger plan for you. Don't retreat. Don't go hide in a cave. Don't wander around the wilderness for 40 days 
and 40 nights. What are you doing here? One of the commentaries I said, it said, His great gracious God did not lose sight of his few fugitive servant, but watched over him and miraculously ministered to his wants, enabled him in a better but not only wholly right frame of mind. You see, sometimes I think that we like to put ourselves in a self-imposed exile where we think what we've done is too much for God to handle. Can I tell you, God's not afraid of your stuff. God's not afraid of what you've been through. He's not afraid of what you're going through. He's not afraid of your childhood. He's not afraid of, of any of that stuff. He's not worried about your stuff. Correction. He's worried about your stuff. He's not put off by your stuff. Your stuff doesn't put you on the outside to God. Paul wrote like this in Corinthians. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should just leave me with stuff. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you and my power is made perfect in weakness. Poor evil, therefore I'll boast more glad, gladly of my weakness so the power of Christ may rest upon me for the sake of Christ. You see, God has more need of your weak weakness than your strength. God has more need of your weakness than your strength. So whatever the situation is, the circumstances, thoughts arise that try to push you away, they will be there to be brought to Jesus, to be used, to be used as both, the scripture points out, his power and his grace are tied to your weak weakness. It says his power, no, his grace is sufficient and his power is perfect and it's all tied to your weak weakness, not your strengths. We think it's God's looking for our strengths. Mm. Strengths tend to just get in the way of what God wants to do because we think we can do it. <laughs> My flaws, issues, excuses or weaknesses are insignificant to what God can do through me. Paul had to go in and write, keep writing in Romans. And he said, I'm convinced that nothing can separate us from God's love. Neither death nor life, neither angels or demons, neither our fears for today or our worries about tomorrow, not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. No power in the sky above or the earth below, indeed nothing in all of creation will ever be able to separate us from the love that God has revealed in Christ Jesus. Paul's writing this because he's like, hey, I know me. I know what I've been through. I know what I did. I know who, in Paul's case, I know who I've killed. I know who I've stoned. I've known who I've persecuted. I've known the just utter despair that I've put people through. And if I have to keep reminding myself, then I will, because I'm convinced that nothing can stop the love of God. He's writing to himself. It's, he's writing a reminder to himself, not just vast, but to himself, that, hey, I've, just, if I just, I've got to keep going. That no matter what this is, no matter what, he's saying, I'm pleading with God to take it away. I'm take, God, take, take away my past. 
take away these thoughts. Take it away. Take, just take it away. And he's saying, but he didn't, but I'm just going to keep pressing on no matter. I'm going to keep going because I believe that what you've said is true. I believe that you do love me. I believe, like we've been singing, that you're a way maker, that you're a promise keeper. I believe it. And I'm going to keep fighting. And in spite, of, in spite of all of me, I'm going to lean more into you. Rick Warren put it like this. He said, this also means that God won't let you use your weak weakness as an excuse for not doing what he asked you to do. <laughs> so what's the answer to loneliness? Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call him his name, Emmanuel, which is God with us. The answer to loneliness is God with us. It's an us. It's just an us. So what does he want to do? Psalm 68, 5 and 6 says this, God draws close to those who are lonely and provides for them. He's a father to the fatherless and he sets the lonely in families. God wants to set the lonely into this family. This many member, nothing can separate when I'm weak, you are strong family. Because it's not about proximity, it's about relationship. And you can live in a building across the way here, and you can be really close to a church, and it can have no impact on your life at all. Because it's not proximity. Maybe if we got a loudspeaker up on the roof, or I don't know, maybe that might help a little. <laughs> Hello, Vancouver. Anyway, but God wants to, he finds the lonely and then his answer for the lonely is family. His answer for the lonely is us. His answer to the lonely is God with us, the God in the midst of us, in the, amongst us. Oh, I need to push. We're getting close for time. But at our last family meeting on Tuesday night at the All In, if you weren't at it, then you're definitely invited to the next one. But come along. Catherine shared about the net. And she talked from John 21. And John 20 and 21 is one of the last times the disciples see Jesus. He's risen, he's risen from the dead. He's wandering amongst them. They don't fully know that he's back in town, so to speak. Their whole world, though, had just been turned upside down. What they thought was going to happen didn't happen. When they thought that Jesus had come to be the ruling king to take over, instead he ended up crucified on a cross with thieves. That all that they thought was going to happen was taken away from them. They're despondent. They're lonely. They don't know what to do. One of them, P. Peter, I think, says, You know what? I'm going to go fishing. Almost, I'm going to go back to what I do know. I'm going to go fishing. If ever there's been an alone moment, it's got to be, I'm going fishing. That's like the international sign, isn't it, for I want to be alone? That's all men. Yeah, I'm going fishing. I'm out. <laughs> See ya. They all say, well, we're coming too. I think he says, I don't think you understand what being alone means. <laughs> it's not all of us. But anyway, they all jump back in the boat. They all head out. 
they fish all night, they don't catch anything. Isn't that typical of when things aren't going your, your way? It's like, I can't even fish anymore. Whole world's flipping upside down. All I want to do is catch a fish. I can't even do that. It used to be my job. It used to be my career. It was the one thing that I was good at. And I can't even catch a stinking fish. And then there's a voice from the shore. It says, hey, have you caught anything? The Bible is very polite in how he replies. I seriously doubt that that was the way. I think maybe it might have been sensitised for our ears. Because if I was in the mood that, I, that he was in and I'd spent all night fishing and I hadn't caught anything and then some person from the shore yells out, have you caught anything? <laughs> my reply would not have been, no, my good sir. I have fished the night and caught nada. I don't think it would be that. I think it would be, you be, I'm coming over there and you better be gone by the time I hit the shore or else I'm going to hit you with a, you know, anyway. <laughs> but when Catherine heard this story, she had the image of a net that had holes in it. That they'd been throwing out a net that wasn't securely far fastened that had holes that allowed fish to swim right, right through. And when Jesus called out and said, well, why don't you try the other side? <laughs> Again, as if you wouldn't be going jerk face or the other side. Whatever. But they listen. <laughs> They're like, you know what? They could have said, hey, random guy on the shore, we're the professionals. We've been doing this for a long, long time. I know where I'm putting the net is there should be fish. Don't go telling me this side is where I know, if I know anything, I know fish. And you're just you. But they listen. They take a prompting. They listen to a word. They hear a sound that's not quite what they've normally been doing, and they act on it. And it says, and then there was so much fish that the net was overflowing. It gives a really random note. It says there were 153 fish. <laughs> this, this is the, I was looking at it, I was like, that's such a weird number. 153. Like, the accountant guy was all over that one. We need to know exactly the amount of fish. And then I was like, I wonder if there's anything, like, um, you know, important in the Bible, about 153, right? So I promise you, I didn't spend too long on this, maybe five minutes tops, because I was like, just stop, Glenn. You're getting off track. Because the people have put, Jesus had blessed 153 people. And if you go through the Gospels, in Matthew, it was 24. In Mark, it was despair. In Luke, it was 93. He had blessed 153 people, and this is a sign to them that here. I was like, oh, people, have, people should have done what I did and said, you know what, I'm getting down a road here that's a bit ridiculous, I need to stop. Because there's a verse that says, and many more did Jesus bless that is not recorded here. 
So your whole thing is blown up there. So anyway, I didn't waste myself on 153 fish. I don't know, it's just a weird number. Someone liked it. I don't know, it's weird. But anyway, I digress slightly. So they took a prompting. They listened. They heard. They did. It didn't make sense to them. It was kind of opposite to what they thought. But they listened and they did it. And then there was more fish. And then as more fish came in, they began to realise, hey, this is, this, is, this is Jesus. This is the abundantly more than I can ever ask or think kind of guy. I just wanted a fish for dinner. I've got more. It says, it makes this interesting point, it says it took all of them to grab the net and pull it in. That's really where all of this is going, that in the next few months we're trying to intentionally cast our net. We're trying to put things in place that are intentional so people can feel the us, so people can feel the community, that people can feel the relationship, not just the proximity. I can't think of anything worse than if someone actually came in here and didn't feel God. If someone came in here and didn't feel a welcome, if someone came in here and didn't feel an us, how, gut, how gut-wrenching is that? That's brutal. So we're starting to be a bit more intentional. And if you had been in here on Tuesday, you would have known already. Just saying. <laughs> we're going to introduce things, the World Welcome Pro Project. We want people to be welcome from the moment they get close to the front door. That's what, we're, that's what we want. We want people to step onto the property and get a welcome, to get a hello, to get a how you doing. Uh, we're not going to let Brett uh, talk, talk to them at all uh, because if you are here the other night, you would know he's terrible at it. <laughs> Just kidding. Just kidding. I was phenomenal. Him. Oh, awful. <laughs> but we want to make sure people are welcome. From the moment they get to the doors, a hello, how are you? How are you doing? What's your name? We want them to come up to the top of the stairs, be overwhelmed with hellos. Well, not too overwhelmed, but, you know, helloed. We want them to enjoy a cup of coffee, enjoy a conversation with someone. Let them experience the us. Basically creating a culture of connection. Things like this little card that we have, it, it may seem... Like, oh, what do they just want my info for? But you know what? It's so we can love on you. It's so we can know what's going on. We can say happy birthday. You know, that's pretty good. Everyone likes to be happy birthday. You know, and not just by the weird ones on Facebook that you go, no, you just cut and paste every day. Um, (laughs) Sorry if you do that. But, you know, we just want to create a culture of connection. We want to intentionalise. We want to be intentional. You know, we were finding that we were having over 30 guests come every month. I would go, that's amazing. But let's intentionally cast our net. It's not like, you know, it's not like mouth, mouth, mouse trap, where we wait till they come up the stairs and get a cup of coffee and then a net drop drops on top, top of them. That's not what I'm talking about. It's not a trap. It's just we want people to feel more welcome, more at home, more at ease more safe, more us, 
More God in us. More God with you. That's what we want. Brett talked about it a little bit, but we're doing the great invitation. We're going to make little door hangers. And on December 1st, if you're free, willing, able, we're just going to go around the neighbourhood, hang them on the door and let them know, hey, we've got a Christmas play coming up. It's going to be amazing. And then on the back, all the other stuff of what's going on. We've got life groups. We've got church on Sunday. All the different, we've got prayer meetings. Need anything? Here's our contact details. We're just trying to create a bigger us. Just a bigger us. And his name was Emmanuel and it was God with us. Now, I might get the band maybe just to come up. Let me just read this little chunk. I've got a big chunk here, but I'm just going to read a little chunk of it. Because here's the thing. It's, it's not always easy. It's not always comfortable to be like, oh, I'm going to connect with the people that I don't know. It's, yeah. Like, honestly, it's not easy. I don't think it's easy for anybody. But if we can just start to stir up, if we can start to listen to what God's speaking to us as a church and has been for months about love, reaching out, acceptance, all these different things, if we can just start to listen to that, to listen to promptives of saying, have you tried to throw the net on the other side? Because I want to do abundantly more than you could ask or think. It says this, it may not be easy or comfortable, but this is where the scripture starts. That's exactly what Jesus did. He didn't make it easy for himself by avoiding people's Trump troubles, but he waded right in and helped out. I took on the troubles of the troubled, is the way the scripture puts it. And even if it was written in scripture long ago, you can be sure it's written for us. God wants oh, this. God wants the combination of his steady, consistent calling and warm personal counsel in Scripture to come to characterize us, keeping us alert for whatever he will do next. May our dependability, steadily and warmly personal develop God maturity in so you do, ooh, I missed that up, so that you get along just as Jesus gets along with us. Then we'll be a choir, not our voices only, thank you, Jesus, but our very lives, singing in harmony, in a stunning anthem to God and the Father, our Master Jesus Christ. Why don't you stand up this morning? It goes on, it says, So reach out and welcome one another to God's glory. Jesus did it. Now you do it. Jesus, staying true to God's purpose, reached out in a special way to the Jewish insiders so that the old ancestral promises would come true for them. As a result, the non-Jewish outsiders have been able to experience mercy and to show appreciation to God. Just think of all the scripture that will come true in what we do. For instance, then I'll join outsiders in a hymn singing and I'll sing your name. And this one, outsiders and insiders rejoice together. And again, people of all nations celebrate God 
All colors and races give hearty praise. In Isaiah's word, it says, there's a root for our ancestor Jesse, breaking through the earth and growing a tall tree, tall enough for everyone and everyone to see and take hope. Oh, may the God of green hope fill you with joy, fill you up with peace, so that your believing lives filled with the life-giving energy of the Holy Spirit will brim over with hope. God, I thank you for what you're doing amongst us. God, I thank you for what you're doing for us. God, I thank you that you're giving us the responsibility to reach out. God, never let us be so insular that that the proximity to you becomes more important than a relationship with you. God, don't let us just tick off the boxes of coming to church. Don't let us make it so we're just fulfilling a requirement. But God, I just pray that you're just encouraging us to reach out to this city, to be intentional about the lot, to be intentional about the lonely. God, let us be the answers to the woes, the, to those that were... Perhaps even just last night we're crying out, saying, I feel so alone in this city. I feel so alone in my house. I feel so alone on the bus. I feel so alone at work. God, let us listen to your promptings. Let us be your voice. Let us be your hands. Let us be your mouthpiece, God. Let us speak into this community that there is an us, that your name is Jesus. And your name means God with us. Not just God in this building. Not just God here, but God in the workplace. God on a bus. God on a sky train. God wherever you are is us. God, help us. Make us bold. Make us willing. Help us step out, God. Step past the comfort. Step past the easy. Step past the normal. God, to cast our net on the other side. God, we're listening and we're willing. God, you are the only answer to loneliness. (laughs) Like this song says, that is who you are. Today, we stand firm on who you are. Whether we're walking through stuff, where we're on the other side of stuff, whether it's hurt and pain, whether it's family issues, whether it's sickness, whatever it may be, God, we can stand firm on who you are, on who you say you are, and on what you say you will do. God, help us be a better us. Help us be the tribe that connects. Help us be in us.
and just with every eye closed here this morning, it'd be remiss of me if I didn't, after speaking on loneliness, offer an invitation that maybe you've found yourself here this morning like Elijah. You've been wandering in a wilderness for what feels like a lifetime, alone, never introduced to Emmanuel, God with us, to Jesus. Here's the answer. More than any words that I could ever say, more than any songs that we could ever sing, Jesus is the answer to whatever the problem is. And maybe you've never come into a relationship with Him. You've come close. You've got this proximity thing down that you you kind of tend to be in the general area, but you've never actually made a commitment to step into a relationship with Him. Well, then this morning with every eye closed, it's just between you and God right now. If that's you and you want to make that step, why don't you just raise your hand as a little personal acknowledgement between you and Him. It says, God, today, I want to enter into a relationship with you. I want you to be my Lord and my Saviour. I want there to be in us this morning. Beautiful. That's beautiful. Awesome. So great. You know, as we come to a close this morning, every, every Sunday we open up the front here. You know, if you're feeling alone, you feel like you're doing this by yourself and you'd like someone to stand beside you and pray, then please come up. If you're feeling prompted by God to step out more, to be His voice, to be His help, and it's scary, why don't you come out and we'd love to pray for you too. But really, if there's any issue, anything that's going on in your life at all, that you want someone to stand beside you and stand with you and pray for you, then we'll just open up the front here. Otherwise, just have a fantastic Sunday. Embrace the us. Be someone's us this week. Reach out to someone that you haven't. Think of someone who you feel like might be alone and say, hey, why don't we do a coffee? Why don't we hang out? Other than that, have a fantastic week. We'll see you Tuesday night here for our prayer and worship night. It's going to be amazing. Love you guys. You're listening to C3 Church Vancouver Podcast. We know you'll be blessed by this message.